So Tim, Tim and I were just talking a second ago, and he's like, well, Pastor preached from the rocking chair on Sunday, and tonight, there we are right there. You just lay down and just preach right there. I guess, uh, you know, they did lay down and eat in the Bible times. Didn't they do that? Did they not do that? Have you ever tried that? I, I can't imagine that would be easy. I, probably not very comfortable. I don't know. Anyway, it's just my... All right, you ready to sing tonight, huh? All right, let's stand and we'll, uh, we'll start our service. There is a Redeemer. How many... Raise your hand if you know this song by the title. Okay, so half of you. All right, here we go. Ready? There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, question I'm struggling with is how can I love God my heart does not want to do that in my heart I mean can we just be real like it, the, the flesh is there the world the flesh and the devil right so when you think of the Bible verses about loving God I thought of Peter because God asked Peter do you love me and he asked him three times right and what did he say Okay, he said, yeah, I love you. And then what, Jesus, what did Jesus say to him? <coughs> Feed my sheep. So I, was, I talked to Christy about it too, and she reminded me too. Love is not how you feel about someone or something, right? But love is what you do about it, right? Because God loved us and he sacrificed his son for us. Love is a choice, right? We've heard that. I've heard love is an action. I've heard that. But, you know, if you feel like I love God, but no. Do you, you love God by what you do, right? All right, well, let's sing this song. I love you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for all you've done. I don't deserve your
second verse, I brought up of Peter and what Jesus said to him. What's some other things you know from the Bible? How to love God. What do we do? Keep his commandments. What? Same thing. Yeah, where's that? If you love me, keep my commandments. Where's that? Is that in John? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, hereby do we know if we are uh, saved, right? If we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous, right? And so if we have that conscience in us and it's like, I want to honor God. I want to love God. That desire is there because the Holy Spirit is in our heart the way we want to. Uh, so what's another one? How, how do we love God? Love one another, right? And I was thinking of when, when somebody, uh, I don't know if the disciples asked Jesus, like, what's the greatest commandment? The first one said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second is, yeah, so we got that. And can anybody, I, I, that pretty much covers, like, the top, like, all what I knew. Soul, mind, and strength. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yep. Love the Lord, you said That's what you just said. Yeah. I love God. Yeah. So we're commanded to do it. So it's not garner the feeling for love of God, but rather do what he has told us to do, keep his commandments, right? And Ecclesiastes, it says in Ecclesiastes, again, the whole purpose of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Everything else is vanity, right? Solomon said that. All right, let's see the second verse. I love thee because thou hast first loved. Good to have you all here this wonderful day and a beautiful day. Going to have another one of these beautiful days tomorrow. Then hang on tight. I don't know that it's going to stay for the weekend. So let's get rain on Friday, rain on Saturday. We have a lot of things going here on Friday and Saturday. But uh, we'll just keep going anyway. So I'll share a couple of prayer requests with you, and then we'll pick them up again at the end of the service. But uh, in case I forget, Kosovo mission trip, that is Doc and Maria. Is that the only ones that we know? personally that are going on the trip, uh, medical admissions team going to Kosovo, so pray for that on Saturday. Um, then uh, Robert is not here tonight, you'll notice, so he's just feeling a little tired, overdid a little bit today, they said, so he's staying away. Uh, John Dice's brother, David, does not did not get that heart, went around a prayer chain, you know, about potential heart that was coming his way and did not happen, so... I just pray that they're still looking for a heart for him. Uh, Bella is uh, the Smith's granddaughter, and she is going to have, what's the procedure going to do on Friday? MRI, MRI on Friday. They're, I don't know if you remember back when she was 
very small. She's four now, but when she was very small, she had a, a cyst on her brain they had to deal with, and they're concerned that's, that there's another cyst coming back or that the uh, stent, the shunt that they put in, is not working properly. So uh, just pray for her and mom and dad. This all happened in Texas, I guess. So uh, pray for everybody that those things will work out and a lot of things going on. So I'd ask you to pray for good weather on Saturday. We, uh, we're having our work day on Saturday, and we'd, we'd like to work. And it'd be easier if we had drier weather. So the Lord, Lord give us what we need. We're not real worried about that. Good to have the Mayhacks with us. They're staying in the ministry house for the month, so uh, excited to have them uh, with us as well. We're going to continue our study, uh, building godly character and values. So we have, we've distinguished between character and values. Character is what we are. Even when nobody's watching what God knows we are, we've given you different definitions. Values are, you know, our primary definition is that which you consider as important, that which motivates you, the things that you count as valuable, right? That's a, a, your value system. That's how you come up with the value system. Whatever you think is important, that's, that becomes your value system. So we've been kind of working off of that. There, it breaks down into three basic groups, and we're already on the second one. I'm going to try to finish the third one before we get to the interns being here. Uh, at the end of the month, so uh, looking forward to that. So thoughts to ponder. Uh, I, every week I'm trying to give you something on character and something on reputation. Car- Abraham Lincoln said, reputation is like fine china. Once broken, it's very hard to repair. And uh, that's a good way to look at it. All of us have probably seen a piece of you know, fine china that's been glued back together. You know, one of Grandma's plates got dropped and oh no, and so your mom glued it back together, stuck it in the china cabinet. Nobody uses it, of course, because the glue back then probably wouldn't have held very well, but I don't know. Uh, unknown, worry about your character and your reputation will take care of itself. I like that one. Worry about your character, your reputation takes care of itself. So you didn't know this because last week uh, we had two missionaries in. One missionary uh, was just here and then Dennis stopped in, Dennis and Diana, and they gave an update. We ended up not having any time together in the morning service. Only one of those missionaries was there, and so we got somewhat into our study, uh, and I was in hopes of doing that again, because we try to keep the services, the morning and the evening services, as much alike as possible. Uh, so you didn't get in. So this morning, I shared a couple new ones with them, uh, so I'll share it with you now. Reputation, this is William Shakespeare. I don't know anything about his uh, character, but his reputation you, speaks for itself, right? Reputation is an idle and most false imposition, oft got without merit, and off lost without deserving. Well, that was a pretty good thing. William Shakespeare said that. Uh, you've heard the, uh, of the seven deadly sins, right? The Catholic Church posts the seven deadly sins. Uh, someone posted the seven social sins, and I like these. This is something that we ought to pay attention to. Uh, these are, these are uh, seven social sins. Wealth without work, that's a problem. And we have that rampant in our society right now. Wealth without work. Pleasure without conscience. Mmm, that's a problem. Knowledge without character. That's a problem. Commerce without morality. Think about that one out here. Science without humanity. Worship without sacrifice. And politics without principle. Uh, Those are the seven seven uh, social sins. I thought those were worth sharing with you. So this is what we're looking at. We're looking at character and values and how they all kind of fit together. Uh, these are our, uh, the second group that we're looking through. We hit devotion last week, and Brother, uh, Brother Jason was kind of pounding on that a little bit, even though uh, you haven't... Um, we kind of ran through it a little bit last week, uh, and we're going to hit it again because I'm trying to bring us back up to date, all right? So uh, since we missed last week, or last week, two weeks ago for you guys. So um, devotion is defined as this, love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. Tell me something that uh, that we see in the world out there that people are enthusiastically devoted to. Sports. Sports. Enthusiastically devoted to sports. And I wouldn't say it's just professional sports, Right. Because I am shocked at how much money people spend on sports uh, in in our neighborhood right here. What age what age does sports begin? Three, three. You can start taking. 
And I'm, it, it's, it's not funny, but it is, you know. But um, you remember how cold? We've had a couple of really cold, wet, drizzly Saturdays. And here at 8 o'clock in the morning are, you know, 20, 30, 40 family units out there watching their three-year-old <laughs> shiver trying to kick a soccer ball. Like, <laughs> Say what? Going the wrong way kicking a soccer ball. Like, oh, there's a, there is a loyalty and an enthusiastic devotion to sports in America, and it's becoming problematic. And quite honestly, I'm just being honest, it is. Uh, we have, in our church, kids who don't go to camp because of sports. You know, they can't go to camp because there's this sport and that sport and this sport and that sport. You know, and, and we're talking about they already finished up a whole school year's worth of sports, but now we've got to finish, fill up the summer's worth of sports. And it's cutting into church, it's cutting into every opportunity that God has to speak to the kids. I'm not against sports. My kids played them all. They did. And I went to every single one of the games. I, my, my kids played them all. Uh, so I'm not against sports. I am against sports becoming a god, right? So the devotion that we have, the, the enthusiastic devotion we have to sports can be, okay, I'll get off sports. What's another one? Music and entertainment. What? Black Lives Matter. It's yeah, I mean, the LGBTQ, I mean, people, you know what you notice about people who are dedicated, who are devoted to their cause? They will speak up. They will speak up every time. If you're dedicated to your cause, devoted to it, people speak up. Um, so I, I gave an illustration this morning. Um, you know, I have a pellet gun. I don't, I don't, I'm not against guns or anything like this or whatever. I just I have a pellet gun in my office. And I had commented to someone around here at one day. I said, you know, they were like, oh, well, what you got the gun for? And I said, well, I give it to the interns, and it helps keep the rabbits out of my garden. And it offended somewhat that person. You know, I consider rabbits like mice. They're a nuisance, you know. And I'd turn, I'd turn that gun on the geese if I could, but that's against the law. But uh, they're really a nuisance to me. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's like... They're, they're chewing up my garden. And uh, so their, their admonishment to me was, well, you better be eating the rabbits. Well, you know, I said, we ate one. <laughs> we did. I, I love rabbit, by the way. I don't take the time to, to do it. So if you guys want to kill a rabbit and give it to me, for, I'll come over to your house for dinner anytime you want. Uh, I love fried rabbit. Rab squirrel and squirrel gravy, best, that's the best combination on the planet. I love squirrel and squirrel gravy. Most people don't even think twice about eating a squirrel. They think of it as an overgrown rat, I know. But I, that's the way I grew up. We just grew up eating that kind of stuff. So I didn't, I've never eaten a possum, just so you know. Uh, but, you know, I probably would have if somebody would have put it in front of me. I don't know. But, uh, you know, so uh, that's, I, you know, so uh, but people speak up. When they really believe something, you know, I mean, people speak up. Now, if if that's what devotion looks like, how devoted are we to the cause of Christ? How devoted are we to the cause of Christ? I remember I worked with someone once uh, downtown, and uh, if someone used God's name in vain, she would, <gasps> she would do this, and you'd be like, and everybody would stop and look. And she'd I, I please don't use my Lord's name that way. Wow. And people would just, I mean, she wasn't being... She wasn't like coming down hard on them or anything. It was just like, and people started thinking differently. Because people speak up when they're devoted to something. It's an interesting thing. There's this enthusiastic loyalty to it. And that's really what we're talking about when we get to devotion. So as Jason was, uh, was I was thinking through Jason, you guys have heard me talk about this before, but you know, 1 Corinthians 13, I am one of those that would say love is an action. It's a choice and it's an action. When you go to 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter, I'll, I'm going to go through it real quickly, and you stop me when we have a feeling. All right? Charity, or love, suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Rejoice could be a feeling, perhaps, but it's really an action. Look at it. 
Jordan uh, 9, uh, uh, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never. You see what the point is? It's action, 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 action. So here's what happens when somebody says, I don't think I love my wife anymore. Here's what you do. Here's what you have to do. Here's your assignment. You have to kiss her three times a day. Start doing the dishes for her three times a day. Uh, you think I'm making this up. You start doing stuff for her and you think, I'm going to despise her. No, you're not. You're going to appreciate her. You're going to love her. Because that's what love shows. Love is an action. Start, start loving her. Do what, you, what love is. And the feeling follows the action. Jesus said, obey me. The feelings will come, right? We don't have to worry about the feelings, but that's not... Okay, I'm getting off base. All right, so that's devotion. Devotion displayed. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, so in John 15, this is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In John 15, as the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Now this one, uh, I don't know that we ever got to with you guys, so I can't remember. But here's the, here's the question mark then. If we're supposed to love, then keep going, it says, so have I loved you, continue my... He says, then you love, as, you love one another as I have loved you, and then... I want you to, here's how I've loved you. I've loved you as a father. So I've, the question is, how does the father love Jesus? How does God show his love to Jesus? I thought that was a hard one for me. I, I mean, it's like, how does God show his love to Jesus? I know how Jesus shows his love to me, right? That one's pretty obvious. I can see that. Greater love hath no man than this. He laid down his life for his friend. That was pretty obvious. But how does the father show his love for the son? So he does take care of him, right? In John chapter 4, at the end of Jesus being, being tempted by the devil, what happened? The angels came and ministered to him, right? God's taking care of him. Uh, you know, God's watching over Jesus, taking care of him. There's a point, I can't remember the story, but Jesus is in the city and they're coming after Jesus and literally Jesus just kind of walks out of the city without anybody noticing and you know, that's God taking care of him, right? His time has not yet come, and, and God's taking care of him. Uh, he has affirmation. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, he's, he's affirming Jesus, and, and uh, he honors Jesus in many different ways. Uh, you know, but the ultimate is this, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So, uh, you know, all of this is, how, and that's how we're supposed to love each other. This is the way we're supposed to love. Jesus loves us that way. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Then this is the commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the way the Father loves the Son is how we're supposed to love each other. And all of this kind of thing would go in there. So we had that discussion a little bit. And then, of course, we asked the question, do we love him more? Now, the next value we're going to look at is a powerful value. All right, it's, it ought to become important to us because this value has the ability to justify us, to make us just as if we had never sinned. This value purifies us. I'm just telling you what the scripture says about this value. This value brings us blessing. This value brings us assurance. This value unifies us in our homes, in our churches, as, as a body of Christ that unifies us. This value protects us. This value causes us to be grounded and settled. This value perfects us, establishes us, comforts us, edifies us, brings us steadfastness and brings us victory. What is the value? Say it over here. It is faith. Word of God is all there, but it is faith, right? Faith, as, as you look through the scripture, you can find verses, and we're going to look at some of them, who would, that support all of these things. Uh, we are justified by faith, right? By faith, we are justified. We, uh, faith purifies us. Faith brings us God's blessing. All these things come to us through faith. If, if we could just seek after, make one thing important, then faith would be it, right? I mean, look at all that we gain by having faith. If all these things... So it ought to become a value for us. It's like faith should be so important that we're going to seek it out, that we're going to do what we have to do in order to gain, you know, this wonderful value of faith. So it does bring a question, though, that, um, well, let's define faith first, all right? Faith defined, now faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's the definition in Hebrews 1. But sometimes you say, well, what does that mean? Well, this is my definition. You can take it or leave it. But faith is acting as if the things that are anticipated, hoped for, are already substantial. They're already there. You see, faith isn't just 
it's not just hope as in the world's concept of hope, but what is our definition of hope? What is the definition we use around here? Expectation. So hope is an expectation, right? We expect when we die we're going to heaven. That's an expectation. Why? Because God has promised it. And we are expecting that God is going to keep his promise. So we, act, we live our lives with that expectation as if it's already a done deal. It is. It's a, it is a done deal, right? It's been signed, sealed, delivered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's done. And so it's acting as if the things that are anticipated are already substantial. Or we're acting as if things not seen are already evident. So if, if, um, if God makes a promise, I don't have to wait until I see the promise fulfilled to act. In fact, there's no faith in that. That's walking by sight. And we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith requires that I go ahead and act with the expectation that God's going to keep his promise. You, you see how that works? It's not folly. Folly is, is where I would step out on my own rationale, on my own reasoning. This makes sense to me, so I'm just going to jump out on it and, and hope for the best. That's folly. But faith is, is not just a leap into the air. Faith is a leap onto the solid rock of God's promise. It, there's a difference. So I, I, I expect the rock to hold me. Uh, so the, the great example that comes up is Peter. Standing in the boat, looks out, sees, sees Jesus walking on the water. And Peter says, hey Jesus, if it's really you, let me walk on the water. And Jesus says, come on. And, you know, now Peter could have said, thank you Lord, I really like that promise. That's a great promise. I, I'm, I'm going to hold that promise dear to my heart. No faith involved yet. No faith. The faith is stepping out of the boat with the expectation that what should happen is not going to. Because what should happen, scientifically? He's going to sink. Nobody walks on water. We know two people recorded in all history ever walk on water, Jesus and Peter. That's it. Nobody walks on water. It doesn't happen. But Jesus had spoken a promise, and Peter is going to act upon the promise. He's going to assume that there's substance to the promise, right? So he steps out of the boat. And that which should not happen, happens. Peter begins to walk on water. That's what faith looks like. It's acting as if things anticipated are already substantial. And uh, so faith is the evidence, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, I've found these three things in faith I just think are interesting, and they'll, they'll lead us to a discussion later on, not tonight. Uh, but we have several different definitions or de descriptions of faith. He says, and he said unto him, Jesus speaking, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? So it's possible to have faith, but not have a lot of it. Then he goes on, in, in um, verse 10, Jesus says, He marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I, have, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, not in Israel. So there's this little faith, there's this great faith, and then in Romans 14, we had him that is weak in the faith. We have this weak faith. Faith is an unusual value or an unusual character trait because you can't be either you're pure or you're not, right? There's no such thing as I have a little purity. I mean, I don't think that's going to float with your wife very well. Well, honey, I, I have a little purity. That's not going to work, right? It's not going to float with your boss if you say, well, I have a little honesty. It doesn't work that way. Either we're honest or we're not. But with faith, we actually have a, a value, a character trait that has graduation to it, has gradu graduated elements to it. You can have a little faith. You can have greater faith. You can have weak faith. It's an unusual situation here as God describes this. And so I ask this question, is it a character trait or is it a value? What do you think? Is faith part of my character or is faith something I'm seeking after? And the answer is yes, even biblically, and we'll show that to you now, right? It is. Here's a character trait. God is describing Stephen, full of faith and power. 
This is how God describes Stephen. This is his character. He says he's, he's a man full of faith. When you go down to Acts 11, God's going to describe Barnabas, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. And much people was added to the Lord. I mean, we, we see this, this description of these people that have faith as a character trait. It's part of, it's part of who they have become in Christ. Uh, they're known by their faith. That doesn't mean that it's not something they pursued after. They did. It's not something they continue to pursue after. I believe that they do. We'll see it as a value over here on the other side. But you know, here we see it very clearly that God's using it as a description of the human character of Stephen and of um, Barnabas. So I, I love the rest of the verses, right? Because Stephen was a man full of faith. Look what, look what happens. He did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, I have to be honest with you. I think I'm a man of faith. But if the definition of being a man of faith means that there's great wonders and miracles being done by me, or through me, or whatever, yikes. Look what it says about Barnabas. Much people was added unto the Lord. Wow, sometimes we realize just how, how, where we fall on that scale of faith, right? Because if we had faith as the grain of mustard seed, we could move a mountain. When's the last time we moved a mountain? And, and listen, I know, I know, we've, there's a lot of ways we talk about moving mountains, right? And, and, and I believe that it's true that God wasn't intending it to be just understood as physically moving a pile of dirt, that it's like, you know, you move a spiritual mountain in your life. I agree with that. I agree with that concept. And so we can see that mountain moving faith at work. But to become this kind of person who's known as having the character of faith, there's going to be things that are going to follow around that kind of person. God's going to be evidently working through their lives. And uh, so I did this this morning. I'll try it again tonight. Think of someone who you know personally. We may not know them, it doesn't matter. But someone who you were able to see that they were a person of faith and you saw it because it was evident in something about their life. So who would that be for you? Tell me a person of faith that you know. Right. Gene Bowen. Willing just to trust the Lord. Uh, Charlie Kittrell came into our church one. You guys, anybody remember, how many of you remember Charlie Kittrell? Anybody in here remember Charlie Kittrell? So Charlie Kittrell was pastor at Crossroads Baptist for ever. And, uh, and so he came to one of our revivals back when we were over in the other building. We had about 30, 40 people here, you know. And we had an organ. It wasn't this organ. We had an organ that sat over there. And he comes up to me after the church service, and he's scolding me. He's like, Pastor John, why don't you have somebody playing that organ? I'm like, Brother Charlie, you're seeing our talent. This is it. You know, we, we barely have a piano player, and we don't have an organ player. And he said, let's pray. And he grabbed my hand, and we started praying. And he said, Lord, give these people an organ player. It's a shame that they would have an organ that nobody would be able to play. And he just starts praying, right? That's Charlie Kipper, he's a prayer warrior. And within just a few short months, I'm not making this up. And since then, ever since then, you can stand up at our pulpit and kind of do this, and you're pointing at piano players. 
and organ players in our church. I mean, he just like he prayed him in, right? I'm just trusting God. That's what he did. And uh, to my shame, I didn't, right? I didn't, I didn't pray it in. I, I was like, we don't have anybody, Lord. I'm sitting over there whining. You know, why, why don't we have anybody play the? You have not because you asked not. Anyway, uh, but it's also a value, something that should be pursued. Look at Romans chapter 1. It says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. For example, obedience to the faith. The idea that, you know, as, you know, as Jason was pointing out, loving the Lord means we're going to become obedient. And as we seek out faith, we have to be obedient to it. It doesn't make any sense to say, I have faith and not act upon it. Right? If Peter just stands in the boat, he gets nothing for it. That's not faith. It's obedience to the faith. And so they're pursuing it by being obedient, being not weak in the faith. He considered not his own body now dead. Now we're talking about Abraham who was not physically dead, but dead from being able to have children, bear children. When he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God, who through through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So, you know, he, he chose, rather than to not believe, even though everybody, and even, even he himself, was sitting here saying, you know what, I'm kind of past this time, Lord. Not, I'm, just, I'm not just past my prime. You understand? Like Sarah's, Sarah wasn't saying, Lord, I'm past my prime. It would take a lot for me to get pregnant. She's like, I'm past this. This is done. And, but God is like, it's not done until I say it's done. right? And uh, they, they staggered not through unbelief, but they trusted God. Uh, and struggled with it. You know, Sarah laughed, I know, but, but uh, you know, he staggered not through unbelief, pursuing it, going ahead and acting upon, trusting God to fulfill whatever God's going to do. And, of course, we see that especially then with Isaac as God says, hey, take this only son that I've now given you in your old age uh, as, as a miracle and, you know, and go slay him on the altar because, you know, and just trust me. And he goes to fulfill that. Of course, it doesn't happen. God steps in. But uh, so character or faith is both a character trait and a value. It's both. It becomes a part of us as we live it out. But we need to be pursuing it, seeking after it, not being in unbelief. Why is faith so valuable? Here's some of those verses I was telling you about. Not all of them. It's not exhaustive. Uh, Romans chapter 5, by whom we have access by faith into this grace. Do you need some grace? Do you need the grace of God? You know how you get to the grace of God? Through faith in Jesus Christ. We have access by faith in this grace. Therefore we stand and rejoice in the hope. Verse, the verse right before that says, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Mark chapter 10, Jesus said, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. I mean, we have that opportunity to see God at work and to see God do great things through faith. And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief, for verily I say unto you, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you say in this mountain, remove to yonder hence place, and uh, it shall remove. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Have you ever, I'm just being honest, I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get us to think. Have we ever said to ourselves, you know, there's nothing impossible to me, and thought, and really thought it was true? <laughs> I mean, genuinely thought it was true. We, we know the, the promise is there, but we have this tendency to stand over here and say, thank you, God, for that promise over there. But faith is stepping out on the promise. Faith requires us to move from where we are, and, and it's not always easy to do this. And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. There's purity. The churches were established in the faith. Uh, the blessings of Abraham come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Uh, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. All these, faith is it's an incredibly valuable thing for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, what more shall I say? For the time would family tell of Gideon and Barak, and of Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, the prophets, who through faith, Subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness. This is like our week, right? This is what our week looks like. Does it? I mean, how much faith are we actually exercising? This is what faith does. 
quenched the violence of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness made strong, waxed valiant in the fight, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy, wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. That's what faith does. When's, when's the last time that we, we, we saw faith actually working? Well, I'm going to tell you when it was. It was the last time we moved off of where we were and stepped out onto a promise of God. For some Christians, that's go all the way back to when they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they trusted that promise of God, and they got saved. And it worked. And you would think that at that point we would be willing to trust God for other promises. What's another promise that God gives us that we might struggle sometimes to, to hold on to, to believe? Well, that's one, right? I mean, how... God promises, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Yet how often are we like David in the Psalms? David was the same way. It's not like, I'm not trying to say that you're like this horrible Christian. David, the man after God's own heart, struggled the same way. You know, he would cry out to God, why aren't you hearing me? Why aren't you responding? Why is it that this has happened and this has happened? It's difficult for us to hold on to these promises. It takes, it takes a lot to to bring faith from there and make it a part of my character. And what it takes is a consistency in chasing after it, in following after it. What's another promise of God that we might struggle with, Bill? Oh, you know what? We don't have to sin anymore, right? We are actually free from the bondage of sin. Sin, therefore, hath no more dominion over us. So the Bible says, so we don't have to sin, but how often do we excuse our sinful behavior based on the idea, well, you know, God knows how sinful I am, but he's given us the victory. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have victory. We don't have to sin, but we've defeated our, ourselves. You know, we've, we've become defeatists, and we've diminished the promise that God gives. Do we believe that God has, with every temptation, made a way of escape? Do we believe that? Let's step out on the promise. Let's find the way of escape. What's another one? Oh, now, you know, the Bible says, now listen, you've got to be careful on this one, right? There is, there, we can't guarantee someone else's response to the gospel. We know that. But the Word of God is powerful. And does a work, and it breaks the stony heart, right? And so as we hide the Word of God in the hearts of our children, that impact will never leave them. But if we've already given up on the idea, and we somehow think that, well, it's just going to be whatever will be, que sera, sera, right? What will be, will be, and we're just going to, then we're going to suffer those consequences. The promise is, if we raise up our children the way they should go, they will not, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. What's another one? Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So do we believe that God will take care of our enemies? So when someone slaps us, God says, don't worry about them, I'll take care of them. You turn the other cheek. Right? When someone curses us, God says, don't you worry about them, I'll take care of them, bless them, which curse you. Right? We, we want to take it into our own hands. because we. So, I mean, I'm just being honest. Somehow we have convinced ourselves that God is letting everybody get by with stuff. I mean, look at this world we live in. You know, and we feel at some point obligated to take things into our own hands. Some of the people who are doing craziness out there, they're doing it in the name of our God. And that's why. Because they've forgotten who they're dealing with. And they have, they're not trusting God's promises and God's word. Faith requires us to trust what we don't, what doesn't always make sense to us. Right? We walk by faith, not by sight. If I'm waiting for life to make sense, I'm never going to take a step of faith. It, it, it's by faith, not by sight. And so it's a challenge. Give me one more. What's another one? 
God has promised he will provide all of our needs according to his riches. Well, wait a minute, Pastor John. He did. He did promise, and he's done that for me. Here it is. <laughs> you, you get how I'm saying this, right? You know, and uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Has God promised to provide all my need or not? I have a credit card. I'm, so I'm sorry, I do. But uh, you know, got to be careful how we use those. I'm, am I trusting God or not? Because God's going to take care of my needs, and so I mean, I've got to be willing to trust God for them. And uh, life's it's not easy. That's that's a challenge for us. So I'm asking us to consider: Are we are we making faith a priority? Are we seeking it out by obeying the things that we already do see and understand? We've got to take some steps of obedience. Are we seeking it out by, by you know, not staggering at unbelief? We don't want un- to follow after unbelief. I, I, here's the absolute truth. Everybody is trusting something, right? Absolute truth. Everybody's trusting something. The guy who says, I don't believe the Bible is true, Instead, I'm going to follow after science. What's he trusting? Science, right? He's, by the way, that's one. Can I throw this out there? You, bet, you might be amazed. When it comes to trusting God's word, don't answer out loud. I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But how old do you think the world is? Because according to God's word, it's less than 10,000 years old. Now, we are in a huge minority because even among Christians, we're in a minority of people who believe what the Bible says about the creation of the world. But can, could I just invite you to take 10 minutes and peruse how many scientific things that they used to say were this is the way it was that they now say, no, that's not the way it was. Science is ever-changing, but you know what never changes? My God. The Word of God. Never changing. Turn on, there you go. So, uh, you know, we got, yeah, bad science. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, we... It's weird, you know, we, we say we believe the word of God, we're willing to trust it, but when it comes to all of a sudden we're like, wait a minute, I don't know, I don't know, I think, I think now it's just a misunderstanding of what the word of God means. Because, you know, the Bible says a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. And can I point out to something to you real quickly? Just real simple, it's not hard. Six days shalt thou labor, and on the seventh day you rest, because... It's, an ex- it's taken from, read the scripture, it's taken directly. We do this because that's what it, God did. He created for six days. So if we're going to go a thousand years a day, then you can't retire. And those of you who are in retirement, shame on your sorry face, get out of retirement, get busy. Because you've got another 6,000 years before you get to retire. You, you understand? I mean, no, it, that's not the, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. It is a 24-hour day. God knew we would be stupid people, and so he didn't, you know what he did? He said, and the evening and the morning were the first day. He defined it for us, because he knew we would just be gullible, you know? So, wow, we trust the word of God. I don't know. I'm just saying, we've got we've to figure out a way to trust God's word, to exercise faith. And uh, so, I thought that thing had stopped, because I thought it said 750 uh, two minutes ago, but anyway. Uh, sometimes it freezes up on me back there. So um, we got to stop is what I'm trying to get at so we can have our prayer time. But uh, one last thing, and I'll bring this up because I brought this up this morning. I thought, you know, this is actually where faith comes in, and that is that um, in the area of abortion, do we believe, do we believe that God declares abortion to be wrong? Now, listen, I don't beat people up for their past if there's an abortion in your past, it's in your past, and it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. You understand? So we're not trying to beat people up for their past. I don't want you beating me up for my sins either, right? So, uh, but, but going forward, we need to agree with God, and we move forward in agreement to what the Word of God says. Well, do we believe that God holds abortion to be wrong? 
You know, I, uh, everybody believes something. Everybody does. Either they're leaning to their own understanding, or they're leaning to science, or they're leaning to some, you know, charismatic person who has, you know, led them, or they're trusting in the Word of God. We need to be people of faith and trust in the Word of God. So, um, just a reminder on the prayer requests, uh, I would also mention to you my uh, nephew, Benny. Ben, uh, he's 14, still battling uh, leukemia. Got another year to go on his treatments. But he was in the hospital for 23 days. He's out of the hospital now, so I uh, went through a pretty bad episode, but he's doing okay. And then uh, we had one of the kids that was in my uh, high school class at Suburban a couple years ago. Evan Stephan, thank you. My mind went blank. Uh, he had leukemia when he was about Ben's age, and uh, now he's gotten a brain cancer. I think they called it stage four. Am I saying that right? It's a stage four. It's not good. And he's probably 20. Am I saying that right? 20. So um, if you just keep Evan in your prayers, that just breaks my heart about Evan. So his is a little tougher than Ben's, so uh, just pray for those things. Anybody else have a prayer question you want to share publicly before we divide up into prayer groups? Steve. Okay. Jim Hoop. Okay. Okay. So with uh, possible prostate cancer, so pray for him. I've already mentioned... Uh, Bella and the missions trip to Kosovo, uh, Robert, uh, John Dice's son, or brother David, I mean, uh, about his heart transplant. And I want to, I suppose I mentioned this to you Sunday night, uh, but um, Jonathan Klingeman is going to uh, Guam for the summer to just help out mom and dad, which is a great idea. I really encourage him to do that. But in talking to the deacons, um, we've actually come up with an idea that we want you to think about. Um, we've been, you know, we've got that money that, uh, that we got given to us for missions. And so we've got missions dollars sitting there. And um, we'd like to consider having a missions intern. We would go summertime, just like we do with our interns here, but we would take the same $5,000 we give to our interns to come here and give it to them the difference would be that $5,000 is going to have to pay for their way. But if we can get a missionary to take care of them once they get there, then they could go spend, you know, five, ten weeks with a missionary, and, and they would be like a missions intern. Uh, so we're just throwing that out there for you to think about and pray about it. You can pray about it together and give us some direction. We'd like to start with Jonathan, that we would just... You know, it's going to take almost $5,000 for him to fly out there, $3,000 roughly for him to get the Guam and back. But, um, you know, uh, and his mom and dad will take care of him. And there's special needs that they have this summer, so we all know that. But, um, but you know, just as an ongoing thing, to just use that, that missionary money in a way that would be genuinely missionary-minded, two ways it helps us. It helps us when they come back with a passion having spent time on the field, not just a few days where you kind of split it between sightseeing and whatever, you know, but you actually are on the, on the mission field and hopefully be a blessing to uh, the missionary. So uh, just something to think about, pray about. We're not making a decision tonight. We're just thinking about pray about. Yes, sir. Ma'am. No, 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 Jonathan, this, we still have our three, that doesn't take any, our summer interns are totally separate. We're asking us to consider adding a missions intern concept to what we're doing. Uh, because we've had that money sitting there, we've got $72,000, whatever it is, sitting in the missions budget, and it's just sitting there. You know, we'd like to figure out a way, and then, and then COVID, you know, uh, COVID hit and kind of just halted everything. But this, I think, is a really good concept of ways to put it to work in a way that's more substantial than sending, you know, five people on a, you know, on a five-day trip. They all come back excited, but it's, I'm just telling you, it's not going to be the same as living it out for a while. And I think that there's something to be gained. So you can think about it, pray about it, talk about it, ask your deacons about it, do whatever you want to. It's, 
we're just throwing it out there for you to think about. All right, I'm down to four minutes now, so break up into groups and pray if you would, please. 